You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Good morning. It's good to see your faces. If you're here for the first time, you don't know who I am. I'm Adam. I'm the pastor here at the church. Uh, if you're joining us at home, either now or some future date, good to have you with us as well. Um, a lot going on, a lot of stuff happening, just already a full, rich morning. Just so thankful for our worship team and that lovely lady who did announcements. She's pretty. She's my wife. Um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13 today. And, oh, man, there's so much I want to say. Um, before we jump into the text here... I want to share with you an update on something that's happening at the church. This is one of um, those bittersweet announcements um, because in the life of any family, any church, any group, there are uh, seasons where change comes. And, uh, you know, this church has been through so much change over the last five years, and um, it is just continuing to move in just positive directions in the right in the right ways, and with that comes just seasons of transition for some of our staff, and um, want to let you know, if you haven't already heard, that Sherry Vera, our um, children's director, she is going to be transitioning out of that role. Um, her and her husband, Mike, have been here for a long time. Sherry's been on staff for 16 years, and she, um, yes... Everyone is entitled to a break, a shift, a transition, a season that is up, and she has been through uh, just the highs and lows of life here, and um, her and Mike are not going anywhere. They're, they're going to remain here at, at, as a part of the church, but we're going to be seeing her transition out of the role of children's director, and with that, we are having um, a new children's director stepping into the role, and that is um, Sasha. Sasha Lainis is going to be... Who you just heard about, if you need childcare for the surf team night, uh, she's going to help provide that. Um, the, these moments are just, you know, we've been talking about this for months and months and months internally, and we want to always make sure you know what's going on, that we're not just, you know, often at times at churches, it's like a staff member will be gone and you never knew what happened. And um, we definitely do not want that to happen. By God's grace, there is no... There's no controversy. There's no issues. She is actually right now back with, with um, the kids and the kids' ministry. And uh, Sherry is an immense, wonderful, uh, the words fail, blessing to us. Uh, she serves in so many capacities other than just children's ministry. And um, it will leave a hole with us. But we are celebrating with her just the, t- the time and the season of change. Um, she, she will be... Uh, taking a step back starting October, um, where Sasha will, will head more into the day-to-day operations, and Sherry will be in an advisory role. And then in the new year, that, trans, uh, that switch will be, um, be complete. So you will still see her face much more out in the congregation these days, so she will not always be back in the children's ministry. But uh, he- here's what you can do. You can be praying because transitions are hard for all parties involved. And, of course, for Sherry, as this is a big big shift in her life, be praying. You can, number two, encourage her. When you see her, love on her. Tell her you love her. Tell her you're thankful for her. Um, Find specific ways to just celebrate who she is in her life. And number three, you can be praying for and encouraging Sasha (laughs) as she is stepping into a very difficult role, big shoes to fill, as well as you know, the ministry that tends to be back there, you know, with, with the, the screaming children. <laughs> and we have, we have a lot of them, and especially that little toddler age group. There are so many, and more being born by the minute here. It's, we are, I was going to say we're a fertile church. I don't know, I don't know if this is weird. Is it weird to say? Um, <laughs> it's a little weird, but it's okay. It's, it's, I mean, literally, Nikki was walking, my wife was walking with the baby this morning, and I was like, oh, which one, was, which one is that? <laughs> because they, they often all look the same. Um, uh, th- we can just definitely be praying for these things, guys. This is a big deal for our church. It is a, it is a good thing. It is a celebration thing. Um, it is movement, but always transitions can be uh, full of uh, 
mixed, mixed emotions. So let's just be in prayer together. Let's be encouraging. Let's be full of faith that God is doing some really great things here. Amen? All right, all right. Well, let me... Uh, let me read this text that we're going to be in today. So we're in uh, Josh, uh, no, Judges, Judges 13. Going to read the first five verses plus verse 24. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles around you. There's also the text will be on the screens if you want to follow along. This is what God's Word says. And the people of Israel again, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zerah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Verse 24 says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we are just so thankful for how you have met us already today how you love us. Oh, and just the sense, God, as we were singing of <laughs> the other things that take your rightful place in our life and how those things are built up and strong throughout the week. And we, we come in here thinking a few minutes on a Sunday are going to tear down those walls, tear down those, those other names, and we just are so desperate for you, God. I am. Thank you for the time that we can spend to sing of these things and to think about them. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people that make up this church. May they be filled with your joy, peace, comfort, and faith today. Help me to clearly articulate the things from your word so that we might be changed through your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I, I went to college in a, in a really historic city, beautiful city, some, a favorite city for a lot of people. It's Charleston, South Carolina. And if you've ever been, it's, I mean, it's super historic, a uh, lot of interesting elements from its history, not all great things, but um, it, it is what it is, and even the school I went to is, is the Citadel. It was started in 1842, literally fired the first shots of the Civil War um, on, on the wrong side. <laughs> so it's, it's, history is unique, but um, I, I, didn't, I didn't get to enjoy the city like most people get to. Every time people here, I went to school in Charleston, like, oh, it's a beautiful city. Did you love it? And I was like, yeah. It, it, was, it was difficult because the, the environment that I was in was not, was not uh, normal. <laughs> um, it was not simple. We were, I was in a military school. It's very much rigid. Like, you don't get to enjoy the city as just a normal human being. When we would go out into the city, we just we stood out like sore thumbs. I mean, we were different we had uniforms on, especially the first two years. You have to wear, like, really obvious uniforms out into the city. And so you're walking around. Then when you become a junior and senior, at certain points you can wear, actually, like a blazer. But you still, you, you stand out. And it, it was just, like, mixed emotions as you're in that. Because at one point when you're there, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, I'm a part of something. I'm a part of something historic. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. <clears throat> and then there's the other part of you that's like, this is just awkward. Like, there's just people walking around in normal clothes, happy, <laughs> um, living life however they, way they want to. And it is, uh, it, it's an interesting dynamic. That sense of honor, the sense of connectedness, the sense of distinctives that, that come when you're a part of an organization, part of a group that is... unique. 
There's a lot of accountability that went along with that. You'd have people in the city always watching, waiting for either for you to mess up because they're like, how you know, it's got a target on your back, like, oh, you guys think you're something or whatever, and they would just wait for you to do something stupid. Then there's also the other side that are like watching alumni because they're they're wanna make sure that you don't misrepresent the school and do something dumb. And so it was just a a an interesting experience. I've since been able to go back and, and love the city to, uh, <laughs> to an extent. I was thinking about this and just how we all, we all are, have our areas where we find distinctions, differences, places that we stand out. We're all part of groups, one way or another, that have distinctives. It might be the gym you go to. It might be your place of business might be the diet you're on. Right? Like we, we stand out sometimes. You go to dinner with everybody and it's like, you know, only salads for me or only, only me, no bread. And those distinctives can sometimes get annoying for people. Sometimes they're, they're really helpful, but they, they do create lines. They create marks. There's there's challenge and change involved. Sometimes those differences put a target on our back, and we just we have choices throughout life, day in and day out, about what we're going to align ourselves with. And it's just so hard. It's so hard these days. Because every group has its problems, right? Every, every group at least has its people within the group that, <laughs> that cause problems. And we're in a world and a day where it is just so easy to, to just yell and get on whatever group that you don't like that moment and tell them how horrible they are or what's wrong with them. We are one of those groups. And I say we, I mean we, you, I'm putting you and me together, we. If you consider yourself a person of faith, follower of Jesus, if you're visiting, you don't claim to have any faith or anything. Like we're, we're just so glad you're here and are so thankful that you're even sitting here to listen. And, you know, for me, talking to a mixed group here is for us to all think honestly about our lives and really what are the things that make us different. As people of faith, we are, we're different. We're supposed to be different. There's, there's some things about us, some things about our lives that should stand out, that should make us distinct, different. And the problem, problems come when all of this gets messed up. Either Jesus followers will, will live life as though there really doesn't need to be any difference, and we can't, we're not distinguished at all. Then there's the other side of it where we try to be different. We try to show our differences, our distinctions, but they're all wrong. <laughs> We've taken up the wrong differences, right? It, there's, there's always, I mean, I'm in a lot of different environments where there are people who don't share the same faith as me, and I love being in those environments, and inevitably, one of the first things, and they hear, like, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm a pastor, and, you know, immediately, first thing is like, oh, I'm sorry for my language, <laughs> And, you know, it's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, if they've been cursing your friend, like, it's not like it offends me. But there's, there's something in their minds that's like, well, people like you, I know, don't, don't have that kind of language, which if they only knew, right? Like some of us, right? <laughs> but because that's not really, okay, it is a distinction, a distinctive, a difference that can exist, but it doesn't. That's not what makes us who we are. Like, we don't, we don't sit here and sing like, oh, Lord, thank you for not letting me curse today. We need to understand what are the things that make us different, that make us distinct. It's, it's not a bad thing. There needs, we all have it in every, in every category of life. In every group that we belong to, we often are thankful for the differences that exist. And then sometimes when, we, when it comes down to faith, we either are so zealous about the things that make us different that aren't really the, the right things to be picking up, or we're just like, man, I don't want anybody to know that I believe 
in Jesus or God or... So what do we do? We have to think through these things. We have to wrestle with them. See, Samson is an interesting story. We're going to look at him for the next two weeks because his story is very long and it's just bizarre. It's wild. All the stories have been wild. I get it. And we've been going through Judges now for a couple months. This is it. The last two messages. He's the last judge. Samson's famous, popular. Everybody in the, I mean, often, people, even people that don't know the Bible know Samson. He's like a comic book hero or villain. He's kind of both. He's this mythical creature, right? His story reads like something out of Greek mythology. He's known for this mythological strength and hair. (laughs) And as you get to the end of his story, we see just how, how tragic his life was. He single-handedly defeats the Philistines, this, the enemy of, well, he begins to single-handedly defeat. I mean, he, 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 he gets a lot of them at once. But it costs him his life, and the road that, it, it, that he takes to get to that point is just tragic. One of the most tragic figures in all of the Bible. And also, in some ways, one of the most miraculous figures in all the Bible. He is both hero and, and anti-hero. He is superhero and villain. And he is a great example of a life that is, that is distinctive and aligned, attached to one group. But his distinctives, his differences are all misaligned. For any of us, our, our belief and our behavior, they, they go hand in hand, right? What we believe is going to shape our behavior. And what, what our behavior is is going to indicate, be an indicator, a, an indicator of what we believe. So the question we have is like, no matter what we believe, are we communicating to the world around us the right distinctives, distinctions? And I tell you, I think we as a Christian community, as followers of Jesus, a church, whatever word we want to use to describe the community of faith, I think we more than ever have to understand this and represent well and honestly represent better what we believe, who we are, how we identify with the very God that we just sang about and the God that we Is it just about not cursing? (laughs) Is it just about what we wear? Is it just about what we do, what we don't do? Is it, is, is, we all have our categories that we fill out in our minds about what it is to be a good Christian man, Christian woman, boy, girl. If you're a parent, you're doing it with your kids, right? You're like, hey, we as Greenfields, we don't do this, or we do this, or we are going to, like, we have our distinctives. Oh, you're going to be a, you're going to grow up as a, as, a, as a Christian in this home. This is what we do, this is what we don't do. We have got to be careful and identify. And look, today is not going to answer all your questions about how to and not to do the very things I'm talking about. But I want to give us categories to help us to frame our lives so that we can start thinking and and crafting what our lives are going to look like in a healthy, godly way so that the things that make us distinct are really what God wants. And then those other things that end up in the middle that are there for preference, we we can let people disagree Samson's story helps us. And here's, here's the things, the categories I want to help us frame this discussion in. There's three things. What we need, we need relationship more than rules. It's relationship over rules. We need character over competence. And faithfulness over foolishness. Okay? Relationship over rules, character over confidence, faithfulness 
over foolishness. All right, so let me unpack this a little bit, okay? Look, we, relationship over rules. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Our relationship with God is the most important thing that we can give ourselves to in this life, right? We sing, sang today over and over again these, these big truths about the, the fact that other forces, other, other gods take their place in our lives. And we've been talking about this for the last two months going through Judges, that Israel was a nation that was drawn to idols. Idols are just it's a fancy word to describe something that takes God's place. Right? We think of idols as maybe funny little statues or like horrible, big, bad things like adultery and you know, sexual addiction or whatever it is. It's not always like that. In fact, most of the idols that we find ourselves loving and worshiping are actually pretty good things. The problem, and I've said this one million and one times, is that when we take that thing that isn't bad, it actually is a good thing, and it takes the center stage where Jesus should be, it becomes an idol and it becomes a bad thing. It becomes a devastating thing, a deadly thing. See, Samson's life is, is fascinating. Even though people know who he heard of the name or they, they think about strength, they don't know he was one of the judges. Samson is the last judge, the wildest judge by far, and we get this long look at his life. It's the only judge that we look at that we see him or his family before he was born. And we also see that he was chosen before he was born. God, God comes to his parents. The angel of the Lord, it says, comes to his parents. It says, you're going to have a kid. And what makes it even more unique and puts him in a really special category with other figures in the Bible is what? His mom couldn't have kids. She was barren, infertile. She, she, she can't have kids. And then God comes and visits says, <laughs> it's funny when you read it, it's like, hey, barren one. <laughs> like, thanks. But right away, it's like, hey, he's identifying her. He's seeing her weakness, her pain. He says, hey, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be good. He's going to be a big deal. He's going to begin to deliver Israel. And we don't have time to go into a lot of this stuff, but look, the beginning of him delivering Israel is just that because we see the fulfillment of that way later when King David comes and really defeats the Philistines, right? That's David and Goliath, you know, stones. That's the beginning of King David's life and eventually he defeats the Philistines. And then ultimately, though, he can't do it in all of it. All the judges, as we've said over and over, point us to the one deliverer, the one king, the one judge who, who really defeats sin, who really defeats the enemy so that we could have life. He does what all the judges couldn't do, and that's Jesus. Now, Samson, though, has this miraculous announcement. Um, God tells his parents, like, look, I want him to follow a very strict path of life. It's called the Nazarite vow. You learn about the Nazarite vow back in Numbers. You don't have to go there, but it's number six. If you want to check it out, make sure I'm not lying to you. And basically, there were three commands for the Nazarite vow. You, ha you couldn't cut your hair for as long as the vow was in place, so it's long hair. You couldn't drink anything produced by grapes, whether it was alcoholic or non-alcoholic. You couldn't have anything. You're like, that's weird. It's weird. Three, you couldn't touch anything dead because that was a big deal in the Jewish culture. Like the priests had this, had this mandate to remain clean. And so they couldn't touch anything that was dead because that would defile them. And they had to go into the temple and you're supposed to be clean when you go into the temple. So the Nazarite vow was this kind of all-encompassing, hey, you're going to be set apart for a very specific purpose, a specific period of time. And so normally you would take this vow voluntarily, but they, it, Samson doesn't get the choice. <laughs> his, his parents are told he's going to do this. Even his mom has to start doing it before he's even born. And it was a way, the long hair was a way of showing that you were in training for a specific godly purpose. The cleanliness 
The abstaining from a, a dietary, you know, having a dietary restriction was, was there to show that, that I'm in training and I'm looking for God's help for a period of time. So we're, we're set up to think Samson's going to be the greatest one yet. <laughs> I mean, all this big deal, pre-birth, like angels, vows, he's going to be, he's going to have his life set up to be set apart for God. And we're like, oh man, this is going to be, he's going to be good. He's not good. He's not great. He's very problematic. It's fascinating because Samson is by far the most rebellious on in many ways, ungodly judge, at least in his actions and activity that we see. And we learn quickly, quickly from his story that, that the strict rules that he had to follow didn't make him better. The guidelines, the mandates, it, it doesn't change his heart. It doesn't turn him automatically into a godly man. In fact, he he kind of ignores some of the rules throughout his life. And, and what's noticeable as we read through his story, and I would encourage you to read through the full length of it because we can't read through all of it together in these two weeks, but what, what's noticeably absent in his life is any kind of relationship with God. Long hair and no grapes just didn't do it. He did not have a relationship with God. He doesn't talk to God very much. There's no sense. There, there, there's a sense that God is with him in very specific moments, but it doesn't seem like he cares at all that God is with him or that God has a plan for his life. God wants a relationship with us. One of the ways that we can be sure that we're living the way God wants us to live, when we think about our distinctives, our differences, how we're going to carry ourselves, the way that we invest into that is by pursuing, engaging, investing in a relationship with who God is. It's not by learning all the rules. It's not by following all the rules or even worrying about all the rules. It's about knowing Him. Because when we learn him, when we know him, it changes the way that we live. My kids, they know. I don't have to tell them how I'm going to react about certain things. They know their dad. They know the things that trigger me. Sometimes they do them anyway just to, just to see how I'll respond. And, and, and they often just want to get me, you know, they're, they're like poking at me, and it's fun, but. I don't have to give them, here's, here's the Adam Greenfield playbook for your life. Here's what to do and what not to do. Of course, we talk about those things, and it's, I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but that's not step one. Step one is I want relationship with my daughter. I want relationship with my sons. I want them to know me, to truly know who I am so that they, they understand what it means to live a life, not that, that that's just going to make dad happy, but it's part of it because how they respond to who I am ideally should be a beginning point for their understanding of how they're to get to know their God, their Heavenly Father. For us, getting to know God, asking, really wanting to answer the question, like, do we even care what he thinks? See, there's this phrase that comes up over and over again in Judges, and we see it for the last time here. It says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Sight could be eyes. In the eyes of the Lord. They did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Do we even care about God's eyes? Do we care who, whose eyes matter most? Because this idea of eyes is going to come up again even out of Samson's mouth. Look, we all have decisions to make on what is right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Whose eyes get the deciding vote? Who's going to decide what's good and right? 
We all have to decide because it's either my eyes or it's God's eyes. Now, to be fair, some of us really care what your eyes. <laughs> I care more about, you know, people care more about what others think and what others' approval is. But, but again, that just transfers back to us, to our person. My eyes. My eyes matter most. If there's one thing that this book teaches us is this, that our choices are not morally neutral, that there are, there are deciding forces out, out there that judge whether something is good or bad, right or wrong. We do things that are judged by the eyes of God, and, and he decides if they're right and wrong. And this is just an insight into, into us. We've said this from the beginning, that Judges is a story about us, about people who are constantly doing what's right in their own eyes and, and, and wanting to to incorporate a little bit of God and a lot of other things in order to, to have this balanced, happy existence where I don't, God doesn't have to demand too much from me, but he's there if I need him. Or when things are going really bad, that's when it comes down and we're just like, oh God, help. Whose eyes matter most? See, the point that we see when we, we see this, they did what was right in their own eyes, is that they, they didn't even realize or think it was wrong anymore what they were doing. In their eyes, it was fine. They, they, didn't, they weren't sitting there thinking, man, I know this is evil, but I'm just going to do it anyway. No, they, they looked at what they were doing. They said, this is okay. And this is tough for us. Because in God's eyes, their behavior was wicked. And, and it's hard for us because we're constantly told or we tell ourselves that, that, that only you can define, only I can really define what's right and wrong for me. Don't you dare infringe on my personhood to tell me what's wrong. If I want to cheat, I'm going to cheat. You may not think it's right, but I've, I've made a decision. If I'm going to steal, it's for good reason. I'm complex. you steal, it's wrong. But if I, when I steal, it's okay. Because you don't know me. You don't know all that I've been through. Right? Pick, pick whatever thing. <laughs> we can't live like that. We need to want God's eyes to matter the most. And that happens when we know him. When we truly know him. Let me give you another example from Samson's parents. When, when we're introduced to them, God, God gives instructions to them on how, and they want to know how to raise Samson. So Manoah, this is, you know, after what I read to you before, it said, when, when your words come true, Manoah is the dad talking to God, the angel of the Lord. It says, when, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what's his mission? Right? This is like every parent's Question before God, like, God, just please tell me how to raise this kid. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Give me the playbook. Give me the guidebook. Give me the rule book, and we'll do it. I mean, all they really told him, all God told him was, listen, I want you to set him apart for something special. Yeah, there's the hair, the grapes, the dead thing. But, like, he wants more. And God doesn't tell him. God doesn't give it to him. God doesn't give him a playbook for how to raise his son. He basically tells them, you, you need to know me. You need to know my character. You need to know all of those things more than you need more information. And, and look, the, the long hair and the diet are supposed to be a reminder for Samson of his devotion to God. But it wasn't ever going to be a substitute for his devotion to God. He wasn't walking around, you know, with long hair where that was giving him power. And, he, and this is where the story unfolds later on because a lot revolves around his long hair and his strength. But that wasn't, that wasn't it. And the same goes with us. Like we, we, we want rules. We want clear understanding of all the things that we're supposed to do and not do in order to raise children, go to work, play on a team, like be, be a friend, be a husband, be a wife. And there are principles, of course. 
the first question we have to ask is like, do, do I know God? Because so many of those questions get answered when we just have that relationship. It does so much more for us than a bunch of rules. Look, there are a million decisions you have to make every single day. There, the Bible is not your, your, your answer key, your manual to find out how you're supposed to choose which college, marry this person, take this job. What the Bible does, it's our, it's our avenue to, to know God to at least start to know God. We'll never get there. We know God. We learn him. We understand him a little bit better each time. We have questions, and sometimes those questions aren't answered, but because we know God, we're saying, okay, I can, I'm okay with not understanding all the things. Because I know you. You're good. You're holy, you're loving, you're merciful, you're just. God's message to them, to Samson's parents, to us, is that we need to know him. He gives us himself. That's what we see in the New Testament. That's what we see in the person of Jesus. God gives us himself to us and, and his Holy Spirit that, that when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, buried, rose from the dead, ascends to the Father, he says, I'm going to send my Spirit and, and, and that Spirit's going to dwell with you in all of you. Where we see in Samson the Spirit of the Lord coming on him to, to give him extra strength, to do certain tasks, like we, we have that now. Do you believe that? that? That's why we sang that song. That's why we say, Holy Spirit, come. It's not because he's not here. It's because we're, we're trying to activate our mind to remember. We're trying to activate our soul. We're trying to activate ourselves to remember the things that we forget because we go through, we leave this place, and we, we go home, we go watch football, we go you know, fight with our spouse, our kids, our friends, our boss, you know, we, all the things that happen in the week. And we're walking around going like, where has God gone? <laughs> and Ryan was like encouraging us today. God hasn't gone anywhere. We have taken steps back and just forget. So this is good. This is, this is our reminding time to, for me to tell you, hey, hey, the Lord is with you. And put your hope in him. Put your trust in him. Know him. The more you know him, the more that you give yourself to knowing and seeking, you will find. The Bible tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Are you tasting or are you just, are you just trying to grab at him when you need a helping hand? We need God every single moment of every single day. We need relationship over rules. And I, I got I to run through here. Relationship with God will make us different. The more that we can have relationship with him, those distinctions, those distinctives will come out, and it will be wonderful. We also have to think, about what it does to our heart, what it does to inside of us. So when I talk about character over competence, look, in this story, we see the importance of character over competence all over the place. See, Samson was a gifted man, and this is what I mean. We're not just looking for gifting in our lives. We need change inside. We need our hearts to be different. We need our character to be strengthened. We need all, all the stuff that makes us who we are from the inside to be strong, to be faithful. Samson was a gifted man. He was a competent man, but his character was a mess. Possibly the most violent, impulsive, sexual, immature, and selfish man that we see. Definitely in Judges, maybe in the top of all the Bible. 
See, what, what was happening was his life was indistinguishable from the Philistines. The, the enemy that ruled over Israel, and it's so fascinating when you read this story, because all the other stories as we've gone through, you see like the enemy comes and they, they attack, they plunder, they, they enslave, they put economic sanctions on, they make life miserable for Israel. And then Israel's like, ah, oh, it's so bad, they cry out. Doesn't happen here. The Philistines actually come in and it seems relatively peaceful. They rule over them, but they've kind of given them Israel just, okay, just become one of us. There's no, there's no crying out to God for help from the Israelites because it's relatively peaceful. There's no economic sanctions. There's no plundering. There's no threat of food being stolen, all that. There, all, all it is is, <laughs> is Philistines saying, I, I, I just want you to assimilate into our life. So Israel and Samson, their, their lives have become markless, distinctiveless. <laughs> There's no differences. And God's just not going to, he's not okay with that. God wants his people to have distinctions, to have distinctives, to look different, think different, smell different, feel different. And it's a, it's a call for us to think what are the distinctions that we have as people who claim to follow God? Are we just so eager to assimilate into the culture around and just kind of go with the flow as long as we have money, as long as we have friends, as long as we have food? Israel is on the verge of extinction as a culturally unique people, a people that were defined by God. And if God doesn't intervene through Samson, they, in another generation, they'll be, they'll be gone. So that's what he does. And Samson, even though he is a mess, is used by God through his, through his gifting to conquer the Philistines. But that's not, that's not, we don't use this story as an example of saying, well, look, God can use me no matter what I do. <laughs> that's not it, because that's often what we want it to be. And it's just like, all right, it doesn't matter what I do. God, you're going to do what you, you're going to. No, it's a story of warning for us, because it kills him in the end. He, his life is sacrificed so that they could have their victory. God wants us to be different. See, one example is Samson wanting a wife is in Judges 14 too. And he wants a wife and he comes and he tells his father and mother, he's like, I saw one of the daughters, daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Like, it's character. It's a problem. It's just like a spoiled grown man. And then it doesn't end there, okay? In the next verse says, But father and mother, his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives? Or they're wanting him to, to again, keep the distinction as, as, as Jewish, as a people of faith. Or among all the people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to his father, Get her for me. For what? She is right in my eyes. Doesn't care. About God, about what God wants. I'm asking the worship team to come on up. This is straight from Samson's mouth. And it's a warning for us. Because, look, Samson does some amazing things, miraculous things, strong. He's a conqueror, he's a warrior. But he continues to identify himself by all the wrong things. Super gifted, super competent, but he lacked what the New Testament calls fruit, godly fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like these are elements that, that we want to develop in our lives. And, and the Bible even tells us in the New Testament that we can be gifted but be lacking in fruit, lacking in character. And we see this spread all over the place. 
Character matters. Our character matters. We want to see good character in our leaders, in our pastors, in our, in, in our families. In, and what we do is we just elevate someone because they're super smart or they can sing well or they can, they can preach, they can speak, they, they know finances, they know whatever, and their gifting outpaces their character. And every time, well, not every time, but most times, it is just devastation. Because gifting without character will create death. One way or another. It will end marriages, it will end nations, it will end churches. We need to ask ourselves a question, like just because things are going well and people like me because of what I can do, does that mean that God's eyes are saying, yes, that's right. And we continue to want to be elevated just with how good we are at something rather than asking, is my heart in the place that God wants it? And we keep elevating other leaders and supporting leaders who just don't care about anything but what they can do and how they can move the needle and increase numbers and whatever. It's a warning for us. And so we need to be intentional for ourselves. Okay, we can't change the world around us, but we can change us for sure. And ask the question, is my relationship with God right? Am I developing the kind of character, the kind of fruit that God wants to see? Because that fruit just doesn't come naturally, right? I am not just normally patient. By nature, that's low on the list. So I have to be intentional about being patient. I am not just, I don't drift into self-control. I need to instill self-control into my life. I don't just become kind by waking up one morning. No, there are things, there are, there, are, there are opportunities in my life to grow in that fruit, in that kind of character. And again, it begins with what I talked about before, by knowing him. We start by knowing him. If I know him, then I know what he wants to see. Now I can say, okay, you want to see this in my life. What do I need to do in my life to help these things grow. It starts with trust in God, trust in who he is. And when I say faithfulness over foolishness, right? Do you know what the fool is? The fool is someone who says there's no God, right? That's what we see in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You, you want to avoid foolishness? Then at least it begins with just acknowledging the fact that there is a God, he exists, and he has some measure of preference on how you live your life and how you believe. But it's more than just us acknowledging that there is a God and he exists. It is taking that next step of saying he sent us himself to us in the form of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, mystery, un, un, unbelievable. And Jesus comes and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Like, as you put your hope in me, you will find all the things that you're looking for. So before we can start just saying, all right, I want all the rules, I want to know, just tell me, am I supposed to do this, am I supposed to do this? God says, I just want you to know me first. Believe in me every day. Make it a priority to be reminded that you tend to forget me, and I am here, and I care about you, and I love you, and I also care about how you live your life. We want to be faithful to trust God, trust his eyes over our own eyes because when we trust in ourselves, it's foolishness. And foolishness leads to devastation, to death. Faithfulness to God will make you different. You will be different. There will be distinctions, distinctives in you that others can see and, and hopefully will ask questions because hopefully those differences <laughs> are, are proof of the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the, the self-control. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of what we are putting out there is, is not that list. We sound more like Samson. 
get me my wife. It's right in my eyes. So we collectively, we want to, we talked about this a few weeks ago, we want to repent and say, God, show me where I'm just, I'm just trying to elevate myself more than you and I want to be different. Help me, save me, strengthen me. And for us to say, okay, I want relationship with you, God. Is, is that in place? Do I have relationship with you? Okay, if not, then today is the day, friends. Believe. That's what Jesus says. Just believe in me. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. And he is faithful to be there to save you, to forgive you. It all starts there. If you've never done that, today is the day. He's, he's ready. He's calling you. He's excited to show you more of who he is. So that then, as your, as your relationship grows now, you have the ability, you have the access to actually grow in character, to want to, to see your life progressing forward in the way that you act and think and behave and talk. It will change everything. It will change your, your interactions with people face-to-face, face-to-computer, computer-to-computer, you know, however way we interact. It, it, will, it will change your life. And then it's the daily faithful grind of believing and remembering that God is working today for you, that he loves you right now. He loves you today, that no matter what you're going through today, he is your God with you, fighting for you. Relationship, character, faithfulness. Father, I ask that those three things would be on our minds this week. Not just today, not just right now, because it's, it's, it's a lot. If for today only we could just settle in on the question, do I have a relationship with my God? He knows me, but do I know him? And then we can start moving into uh, why am I so impatient? Why am I so angry? Why am I so unloving, unmerciful, vengeance-driven? And then, God, you can just start coming in and, and changing us. Not just make us better at what we do, but make us better at who we are because of you. You don't love us because of the good things in us. You love us and make good things in us. Thank you for that, God. Change us for your glory, God, and our joy. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this final song. There are going to be people to pray for you if you need prayer. They're going to be up front. Please come and get prayer if you would like. Let's sing this song together.